This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Joshua Bell is a world-class violinist. He's been music director of the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields since 2011, and his contract was recently extended for three more years. Now, with all his years of experience, it might be difficult to imagine insecurities still creeping in on occasion. But that's what happened when he walked out on stage for the very first time to work with the Singapore Chinese Orchestra on his new recording, Butterfly Lovers. You're going to hear more about that and everything that's on this new recording. It's pretty exciting. And it's new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Elmacher. On your new recording, The Butterfly Lovers, you are with another orchestra that you highly admire. And in fact, about five years ago in 2018, you posted on Twitter, my new favorite orchestra besides the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields in London is the Singapore Chinese (laughs) Orchestra. (laughs) What is it you love about this orchestra? It's funny. I posted that. Well, it's kind of like what I said about the Schumann Symphony. When I'm playing the Schumann Symphony, I think it's the greatest piece ever written. So, you know, I I get uh, caught up in the moment and and I truly feel those things in the moment when I'm enjoying myself. Uh, no, the Singapore Orchestra, I, I've only played with them a few times, but what I loved about that experience was, um, uh, actually it was maybe seven years ago I first went to them, not with the Butterfly Lovers Concerto. They asked me to come and they 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 said, we have these arrangements with Chinese instruments, the Chinese orchestra, uh, of some of these classic violin pieces like Saint-Saëns' introduction around a capriccioso and Zigorner Weisen of Sarasate um, and meditation from Thais. And, and I thought that sounded intriguing to play with a different kind of orchestra. So I went out there and, and what I fell in love with was this unique sound of a Chinese orchestra, the instruments, the pipa and the erhu and all these these sort of exotic uh, wind instruments. It, it, it was uh, thrilling, actually, and, and uh, really enjoyed that experience. And then came back a couple of years later with this idea of the butterfly lovers, because it, it's a piece that has been mentioned to me for just decades now, by often by Chinese musicians and people when I go to China, they say, you have to play butterfly lovers. It's one of our favorite Chinese favorite pieces. And I, I didn't know it at all. For years, I didn't, uh, didn't really take the time to really get to know it. I just kept hearing about butterfly lovers. And then finally sat down and listened to it and looked at the music and thought, this is a gorgeous piece of music. And I this new relationship with the uh, Chinese orchestra in Singapore, and I thought the stars were aligned for, for me to learn this piece and to play it with my new friends in Singapore. So that's what, that's what happened. I know you also have a special relationship with the conductor with whom you're working on this project, and you met him early in your career. Can you talk a little bit about about him and uh, how you've developed that relationship along the way? Yeah, Maestro Tsung Ye, he's their music director, and and he's was sort of the liaison between me and the, and the orchestra in many ways. He's the one that brought me there. We actually... Um, 
uh, met, uh, I guess, a few decades ago when I was very, very young. And, and in Indiana, he had an orchestra there where he was music director of not a Chinese orchestra, of a traditional uh, Western orchestra. Um, and uh, we played together those many years ago. So uh, so we had that in common. So that was kind of nice to have that. I remembered him and, and remembered the nice experience back in those old days. Um, and so he brought me there to, to Singapore. And, and he was helping me, you know, with, because the, the musical language of the butterfly lovers, is, of course, is rooted in the Chinese sound and the Chinese instruments. Although it's kind of a weird hybrid of a piece in that it was written for Western instruments um, and Western orchestra, ironically, um, 50-some years ago. And in, in our case, we've actually reverse engineered it back to Chinese instrument, Chinese orchestra. And so uh, anyway, he was sort of helpful for me trying to instill in me some of the, some of the idioms and, and um, nuance of what it means to play Chinese instruments. Yet I did not attempt to try to copy a style. I am not trying to be, you know, an Erhu player on the violin because I it, I would only be a cheap copy of that. Uh, I just have to play the way that the music inspires me and that's and it feels authentic to me, uh, which may not sound authentically Chinese, but that's fine. And that's what music is all about. You can I kind of had a similar experience when I did Bluegrass with Edgar Meyer and and Mike Marshall and Sam Bush years ago, we did an album called Short Trip Home, where Edgar Meyer wrote music for me and these these just incredible bluegrass musicians. And uh, I had to sort of be a bluegrass musician, except he was using me in a way that he wanted me to, he wanted to bring out my strengths and, and what I do. And in that situation, I also didn't want to try to be a bad bluegrass violinist because there are many better bluegrass violinist than I would ever be. So so it's the same kind of challenge where you have to find the right in-between where you're being influenced by this style, in this case, Chinese instruments, and yet feeling authentic to yourself and the way you've been trained and, and thought about music for your whole life. Joshua, for listeners who may be just discovering the Butterfly Lover's Violin Concerto, can you share a little bit about its history and why is it so popular? It's just so beloved. Well, the the easiest way to describe the Butterfly Lover's is sort of like the Chinese um, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, it's, it's an ancient, even more ancient than Romeo and Juliet, except the idea of, of two lovers that are not allowed to be those sort of legends can go back probably forever, you know. So in the case of Romeo and Juliet, of course, we all know, you know, that the two of them that aren't from families that don't want them to be together, et cetera, and it causes tragedy and, and all that. Um, it's something we all sort of relate to. And um, in the case of the Butterfly Lovers, it's a similar sort of story. It's about a, a Chinese young woman. This is now almost 2,000 years ago, the legend. Um, a Chinese young woman who wants to study at a place in time where women were not, girls were not uh, encouraged to study. So she dresses up as a as a boy to go study at the school. And she meets her someone who becomes her best friend, another boy. But she's secretly falling in love with him. And he doesn't know that she's actually a girl. And they, um, to make it short here, they, it eventually comes out and they fall in love. And then, but the, but she's been betrothed to, to someone else and he's heartbroken and he 
falls ill and dies. And then when on her wedding day, she goes and, and is, she herself is heartbroken that she's not with who she wishes she were with. And she ends up diving into his grave to be with him. And, and uh, out of the grave emerges these two butterflies symbolic of their love together. So that's kind of a, a very short version of it, but it's very touching. And, and, um, and something that everyone can sort of relate to, and I and and uh, the music itself is just very melodic and and sort of. Uh, I mean, it, it, when I first heard it, I got goosebumps listening to it because the melody is so beautiful and and it's very descriptive music. You know, all the strife between the families. <laughs> longing in the music. And then in the end, it's sort of these ethereal, um, the two butterflies uh, going away together. You can kind of feel all those things in the music. You said it gives you goosebumps. I'm wondering <laughs> if there is a moment in this work that really gets you every time you play it. Ooh, there are, there are a few. Yeah, goosebumps. That's sort of my that's my uh, gauge. You know, when it goes into C major in the in the Schumann Symphony at the end, boom, the goosebumps come out. That's what it's all about. You know, that's what people go, listen to to music. It, it's. Uh, don't ask me why that happens. I still, to this day, don't understand how music elicits these responses and the emotional responses in such a direct way. But it's it's a beautiful thing. And so, oh, in this in this music, I mean, there there's some beautiful conversations between the the violin sort of represents the female character. And the, the cello represents the man who she's secretly longing for. And there's some beautiful dialogue in the middle of the piece that is, that's, that's very touching. But for me, I think the, the 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 culmination of the piece at the very end, where the 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 opening beautiful thing comes back with the violin solo and the whole orchestra. Thirty Erhu players all playing in unison, and it's 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 quite dramatic, and it's it's one of the moments that that first gave me those goosebumps. This work was written in 1959, and it seems like the work is better known than the composers themselves. What can you tell us about the composers? Well, you know, I don't know too much about the composers, but in that they were. 
students at the Shanghai Conservatory of Music at the time, so they were young. They're still, as far as I know, both alive, uh, around 90 years old. And uh, they were trained, you know, in Western instruments and Chinese instruments, I under, the way I understand. And they, they um, so th first of all, it's a little bit unusual that a piece would be credited to two people rather than one. Usually writing a piece of music, it's not generally a collaborative effort. And how that was distributed, how the work was distributed is still a little bit of a mystery to me. But um, they did something that was innovative. You know, they were, they were, they were using Western instruments, but with Chinese folk music, sort of, I don't know how much of it exactly is they drew upon actual folk music or whether it was reminiscent of that. But I think part of their intention was for the Western world to appreciate what was treasured in China. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's, it's, it's just great that we have these sort of things that cross cultures. I think we're very concerned today about appropriation of music, which we won't get into that, but I think we're, we're done for as classical musicians if we start worrying about what's being appropriate or not in the classical realm, because we're all sharing each other's music and celebrating each other's music and learning from each other, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And certainly it's represented in the three other works that are on this recording. And I'm curious, you know, between the Camille Saint-Saëns, the Jules Massenet, and the Sarasate, what might we notice in those works that we haven't noticed before in that they're being performed uh, through the voice of an orchestra of Chinese instruments? Well, um, Certainly you'll be, I mean, from the very, very start of Zigarnerweisen, hearing the orchestra come in, da dee 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 It just suddenly sounds, wow, that's, that's, that's not what I'm used to from a, you know, if you're used to the Western sound, it's, it's, um, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's, it's very powerful, uh, but sometimes eerie sounds. textures in the Saint-Saëns introduction around a capriccioso work beautifully with Chinese instruments. And in the meditation from Thais, the sustained underlying droning sounds of the erhu uh, instruments and the plucking sounds from the pipa. gives just different textures. I mean, the music overall is, is going to elicit similar emotions between the two versions, but I think because that's what the music is still about what it's about, but um, people in the classical world and certainly violinists know these works, heard them recorded a thousand times, and, and um, it's just another angle on the piece, maybe to give a little amusement, maybe to find something new in the piece. I, I don't know, but it's not meant to be the 
improved version. Um, it's just meant to be another version, another way of celebrating great music. I'm curious if you can maybe share with us a behind-the-scenes story of maybe a memorable experience you had putting this recording together with the Singapore Chinese Orchestra. Oh, well, um, to tell you the truth, I was a bit scared to walk out on stage uh, at the first rehearsal, um, you know, because here I am playing a piece that they know and love so well. And here I'm a guy from, you know, New York or, or Indiana. <laughs> um, and I was a little bit scared that they were um, going to look at me with skepticism and and not accepting me. Um, so that was nerve wracking walking out there, but they were so warm. Who knows what they actually thought? Oh, boy, he doesn't know how to slide the way we, we do on the Erhu. He doesn't, probably there's plenty of that, but, um, but, but my main sense was that um, they were just happy that someone from the West would take the time and enjoy their music and want to make music with them. Uh, and it was just very heartwarming, the reception I got from the orchestra and, and that sense of acceptance by um, you know, this very different culture. A new recording called Butterfly Lovers with Joshua Bell and the Singapore Chinese Orchestra. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer of New Classical Tracks. I'm Julia Bakker.